Hello, everyone. We are so excited to announce this year's Principles to Practice Summit on Montessori and Ecological Consciousness. Join us for this transformative summit, which brings together experts, scientists, activists, and educators to explore how Montessori education can nurture environmental stewardship in our students and cultivate a generation of sustainability leaders. Our lineup of speakers, including our keynote speaker, Robin Wall Kimmerer, will present practical strategies for seamlessly integrating Montessori principles with sustainable practices, empowering educators to foster environmentally aware and socially responsible learners. The summit will run June 17th through 19th, but tickets are available now. Head over to courses.trilliummontessori.org for more information. I'm Simi Abdullah, and I'd like to welcome you to Trillium Montessori Talks, the podcast where we dig into the theory and application of Montessori methodology in the classroom and beyond. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Letty Rising and other Trillium course creators. Our goal is to provide you with a weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can optimize the classroom experience for your students and yourself. Ready? Let's talk Montessori. Welcome to Montessori Talks, where we talk about all things related to the Montessori elementary environment and other things related to Montessori as well. And today, my guests are Najee and Cecily Owens, who are school owners, and they own a school in Atlanta. And they're going to talk to us a little bit about their experience transitioning from other work to jumping into the Montessori world. And we're going to just get started with me asking, and you you both can take turns, obviously, and you know, you might finish each other's sentences for all we know. But how did you first become interested in education and what inspired you to pursue this path of school ownership? Yeah. So uh, Cecily and I had a beautiful baby girl about eight years ago. And we were looking for some good uh, child care for her, and we couldn't find any good options. And during that time, that's when we stumbled upon the Montessori philosophy. And we just love their child-centered learning environment and how they focus on the child. And they actually taught them, you know, at a young age. But at that time, we weren't able to afford a Montessori. So kind of full circle, um, now that we're a little older and wiser and a little more successful, we work with my mother and the three of us got the opportunity to become owners of a school. And it just happened to be a Montessori school. So here is kind of the beginning of our Montessori journey. Yeah, I want to add to that as well. So Najee's mother, she, in the beginning, after we had our daughter, she would keep our daughter for a very long time. And unknowingly to us, she was very into the Montessori method. She's also been in the field of education, young education, similar to our school age for about 20, 30 years. So she's been doing it for a very long time. So she's very knowledgeable of child care and the Montessori method. So it was something that was very new to us, but she had been doing it with our daughter all along, which is why it started to become complicated to 
find an appropriate school for her. So that's really where it originated from was from my mother-in-law, Najee's mom. Well, it sounds like it originated from Najee's mom, but also a need that sort of came out of the pandemic, which a lot of people came away from it going, oh my gosh, like there's not enough quality early childhood education. There's not enough Montessori in the world, but early childhood education in particular, there just isn't. And I've had a couple of guest speakers on here who have actually just kind of jumped in and started their own thing in one way or another. And it sounds like you fit the bill with that, that you also have jumped in to start something. And so um, I guess another question that I wanted to ask to follow follow up on that is, it sounds like that you both have a business background. And how would you say your business background helped you in establishing and running a successful Montessori school? Yeah, so I started off my business career, uh, maybe about 10 years ago. And we both started out in real estate investing. And uh, during that time, I also got a master's degree in the science of real estate. So that's where we got our love for learning. And during that time, I've been a VP of a company and uh, even recently a president of a company and learning how to uh, deal with people and different personalities has helped us now, you know, running the school with having teachers and kind of some of those same things. And then Cecily has a background in sales and marketing. And I'll maybe let you add how we've been able to use that to uh, increase enrollment at the school. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, with me being in sales and marketing, really putting the school out there and starting to develop a a story around this school that's been there for, you know, 30 years and is such a magnitude to the city that it sits in, I really wanted to begin to get that out there. So obviously my expertise in marketing um, comes into a play, but more importantly, when it comes to my background in sales, I think what's important is in sales, sales teaches you how to be an active listener. It teaches you how to ask questions before you just blurting out an answer. It's more like, tell me what you need, which is the first thing that we did when we took over ownership for the school. We talked to our employees and we asked them, what is it that you need? Because the teachers are, I'm the biggest advocate for teachers. That's their number one to me because the students are number one to them, but somebody has to take care of those teachers. So going in, asking them what's important to them, what do you need? Because if we can fulfill the needs and the desires of the teachers, they will then take that and direct that to the child. So those are the biggest pillars, I would say, for us and how we were able to translate business to the school. Well, what you are saying is music to every teacher's ears, because what every teacher wants more than anything is an administration that listens to them and supports them and responds to them. And so so it sounds like you have a little bit of a fascinating story here because you're pretty recently new school owners, but you have taken over a school that has been in existence in Atlanta for 30 years. And I've heard the name of this school. Can you pronounce it? Because I'm not sure if I'm going to say it correctly. Decatur Montessori School. Decatur. Okay, thank you. And I'm glad you did say it because I had it in my mind differently. And so tell me a little bit about the journey of this school and the history of it and also where it was enrollment wise when you picked it up. 
And what were the challenges that you weren't expecting that you would run into? What were the surprises, the opportunities? I know I'm, I have like eight different questions within that one question, but if you can just tell me a little bit of the story of this school and why you wanted, why this school was the one for you and how, how it was special for you. One thing that I definitely, I'm going to let you take a part of this one, okay. because I want to talk about specific challenges that we faced during the time we took it over. <laughs> okay, So I'll uh, start. So when we first took over the school, um, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And in March of 2020, just like everyone else, the school was shut down and enrollment dropped all the way down to 13. Maybe two months later, because of the demographics that we served, we were deemed essential and were able to open back up. And that's when enrollment was around like 30. And since us taking over, we've been able to increase the enrollment to around 65 students. And one of the ways we were able to do that is uh, due to the pandemic, one classroom was shut down. And uh, since then, Cecily and I have been able to find a great uh, lead Montessori teacher and an assistant to help her. And with getting that classroom open, it allowed us to kind of, um, you know, scale up for enrollment. So those are some of the initial challenges. Obviously, as as others know, we were dealing with finding people who wanted to work. (laughs) But, you know, Montessori is a um, is a great uh, industry where teachers there love what they do. So they're willing to, you know, alter and change. Obviously, we had to wear masks and things like that. But those were some of the initial challenges. And I'll let you maybe speak to. Yeah. So one of the challenges specifically when we took over, and again, you know, this is something that's very new to us, but luckily we have an amazing admin staff and we have amazing teachers who will do anything for the school and for the students. Our school has been around for 30 years and the majority of our teachers have been around at least 18 years. So we have some solid teachers that have been there for a very long time and their dedication to the school is pretty much as if they own the school themselves. Um, But specifically coming into the school in the midst of the pandemic, we had to deal with a lot of COVID cases. Um, COVID cases of students, COVID cases of parents. So oftentimes it was very, and we had to deal with the county a lot. And we had to do with a lot of school closures immediately coming into the, the school that was very, that was beyond nerve wracking. It was so hard for the parents because they are deemed essential workers. I mean, they work for the hospitals and they also work for the CDC, who is at the time was helping us get through this pandemic. So It was really, really complicated in the very beginning, but it's something that we were able to bear ourselves through. So I think that was probably one of our biggest challenges was getting over the hurdle of the pandemic while being new owners, while getting to know the parents, while getting to know all the teachers. It was a going right into it. It was it was immediately tough, but it was a challenge we were able to get over. It was great. Well, so something that you just uh, said makes me want to get dig in a little bit more in that, you know, you took over during a pandemic and it sounds like, were you able to keep most of the teachers that were there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We kept all the students, all the teachers stayed. So um, that is fascinating to me because, I, you know, as a person who was a head of school and a principal for many years, and I also went in and worked as interim head of school, um, sort of change management when there were some, you know, challenges happening at a school and whatnot. 
And it's pretty much my experience that when an owner changes or when there's a new leadership, that there's usually at least a couple of people who don't feel in alignment with the mission and vision because it changes even just subtly when there's new people in the mix. So what makes you think that that the people that were working there decided decided to stay with you? Like, what is it that what is it that was so special about that school that caused them to want to stay? And maybe what is it that you both did that that encouraged that to happen? Well, I think the first thing that we did, we were in the middle of a pandemic. So I think the most thing, the what was most important at that time was getting through the pandemic. You know, I, I have learned oftentimes, I, you know, like you say, when you go in, everybody doesn't like the transition, you know, changes that had to be made. But I think it was important to us to let the teachers know that at the moment, nothing needs to change. Having conversations, one thing I like to do as an owner, I call them temperature checks. So having one-on-one conversations, really getting to know, like I said, what do these teachers need? And that was our mission and our only objective going in. What do they need right now? What's important to them? And getting through the pandemic, because it, it in the pandemic, I needed them to stay. I needed them more than anything. You know, they were, we all were pretty much risking our lives during this pandemic. So I think making sure again, with the active listening and making sure I took care of them specifically and what they needed, I think it developed a trust between all of us. And they, they didn't just stay because of me, they stayed because of the school. Yeah. And then I'll maybe speak to the school. So like Cecily mentioned, um, we have teachers that have been there 18 years, 20 years. Our longest tenure teacher has been there 23 years. And that is amazing. The way Decatur Montessori School worked is there was the original owner who built the school up, excuse me, 30 years ago. And they're still kind of um, passively involved. We still reach out to them for questions and stuff because, you know, they built it. It's like their baby. But uh, one of our teachers has been there since the original owner. And since the original owner, there has been two other owners. So we were the fourth owner. So they're kind of used to this transition. And like Cecily mentioned, it's almost more their school than it is ours. <laughs> because, you know, some of them started out as assistant teachers and are now lead teachers. Some of them start out assistants, have been leads, and now are in the office with us. So um, it's just a true testament to Decatur Montessori School. And anyone who has visited or been in the area, they know that uh, that is a strong pillar in the Decatur community. Yeah, they really are a family there. That is amazing. And so would you say also that, I mean, in early childhood in particular, whether it's Montessori or non-Montessori, and even in Montessori, there can be more turnover than in elementary or later years, partially because it's just such a demanding and intensive field. So I guess I'm guessing that you maybe aren't a school that's open 365 days a year, 11 hours a day, or maybe you are, I don't know. I mean, because a lot of schools these days are catering to the parents' needs, and sometimes that is to the detriment of the human needs of the staff. 
because there might not be time for more time off or time for planning or so do your teachers have non-student facing time or non-child facing time? Do they have professional development opportunities? What's the secret sauce besides obviously the school's established, they love their work and maybe you have some some, you know, some some structures built in to to make them want to continue to stay with you. Yeah. First, I believe, I know it's hard to believe, but the love that they have for the school is something short that I've never seen before. But also, uh, again, I think you made a great point. There are a lot of schools that are catering, you know, a lot to the parents. And as much as I, you know, am an advocate for parents, I understand I've been there. I also let them know, and uh, I believe this was our initial call when we were going through the transition and we, you know, had a huge Zoom meeting with the teachers and the parents, you know, everybody was on the call. I made it known at that meeting that my priority are my teachers. So we do operate year round, except for our primary classrooms, which are out for the, our teachers are out for the summer. So only, you know, out of the five classrooms, only two teachers are out for the summer. So the rest of our teachers are year round. However, I, again, doing my temperature checks, I make sure that they are taking time off if they need mental days, take you some time to, you know, have a mental day, you know, take you a week off. Let's just make sure we have enough coverage. I think it, again, if you prioritize your time to the teachers, I mean, again, I've only been doing it for a year, but so far it's, it's worked. And I always make sure that they're okay. Yeah. And then another thing just to add to that, uh, we do have what I would consider maybe more time sporadically throughout the year off. Yes. So obviously we're off for spring break, but mm-hmm. then in the middle of the year around May before, excuse me, around June, before we start the new school year in August, we take a week off there. We have two weeks off for Christmas, another week off for Thanksgiving. So we have a the traditional holidays off, but we also add in a couple of other weeks to give yeah. um, teachers time. And then we do have, we are very big advocates for continued education. So any type of training that our teachers uh, want, which we found has been really important. Uh, Humans, I I believe, naturally want to learn, especially when you're in the Montessori field. So us uh, letting the teachers know that any training you want to take, you know, the school and us will support you and all uh, components of that. And then also, I think another secret sauce is we do have a very big mix of international teachers. I would probably say 50-50. And they come from Iran, Afghanistan, Mexico, you know, all over. And I think just kind of having that mix of your your standard Americans, but also that international uh, component and kind of mixing those together. Like Cecily said, it really becomes a family. So it's not like hey, I'm worried about a dollar or I'm just going to go leave this school and go to another one. They're really invested in the school, you know, because they look at each other as family members. Yeah. Another thing we like to do, it's it's small, but it, I, I feel like it works. We do like our surprise lunches. So every now and again, we'll just, we'll come to work and we'll have big old boxes of whether it's pizza or, you know, Chick-fil-A or, you know, just any, anything just to surprise lunches, just to kind of show our appreciation to the teachers. So we do our best to make sure we take care of them as much as we can. And, and I, like Najee said, give them ample breaks. That sounds wonderful. And just to clarify, so um, your school has a capacity or you have, you're, you have 65 students right now. Is that correct or around there? And do you have a capacity for more? Yeah, 90 is our um, is our capacity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you so you built it up from 13 in the last um, year and a half. So that's pretty great. And then do you also serve infants and toddlers or? Yes. Okay. And yeah, so we are um, ages six weeks to six years old. So we have one infant classroom. We now have two toddlers and we have two primary. Okay. Any, any ideas to ever expand into elementary or? Oh, I, I would love that. Honestly, I think what we would love to do, we would love to get into elementary. We would love to build more schools. I, as Montessori is such a huge community, but in the hindsight, it's a lot of people, at least that I've talked to still are so unfamiliar with Montessori. And so I would love to begin to get that word out. You know, Montessori is the it's it's Maria's Montessori way or no way. You know? <laughs> oh, it sounds like you are definitely big fans and that's wonderful. And, you know, it's something like, you know, uh, sometimes school owners end up going to get training themselves, even if they're not in the classroom, just to sort of have that experience. And so that could be something exciting to do as well. So I guess another, you know, sort of turning to a little, little bit of another direction is you are a Black couple and you're a, you're owners of a school and you maybe, you know, I'm wondering how you can describe how your ownership of a Montessori school as a Black couple, as uh, you know, will inspire other Black educators and entrepreneurs to pursue a similar path? So I think um, what's really important, like you said, is just, I think getting it out there that Montessori education is an amazing philosophy. So one, I just feel like just education, letting people know that, hey, there's another type of curriculum out there and it's phenomenal. I think that's number one. Uh, I think us being a Black African, well, a a Black couple, I think really what's important is I hope it inspires people to, you know, look into education more. And there's so much purposeful work in helping children, helping our future. It's because of them, you know, when we, you know, can't maintain anymore, they're going to have to take the reins for us. So I just think that, again, getting it out there, because I mean, I would also, I would also say this, there's still not a lot of African-Americans that are in our school. A lot of the schools that we visit, I I do still think it's a, a minority. So just us being, Black being able to get it out there a lot more. And I just, I want to point this out. You said some of the owners look into um, getting the Montessori education. This one right here will be soon. (laughs) He's getting his AMI certification, his diploma, excuse me. Oh, wonderful, Najee. That is so exciting. It's, it's a, such a journey. You know, I have my Montessori training as well, and it is um, so wonderful and transformative. It's a lot of work. And being a business owner and taking your training at the same time is going to be a big job, but you can do it. Lots of people have done it before you, so it can definitely happen. And so I guess that sort of makes me think about a next question I want to ask, which is, what are your plans for the future of your Montessori school in your own personal mission to promote Montessori education? Like, where do you go beyond your current school or what or how do you maybe how do you see your current school in the future? And then maybe, you know, what are your dreams beyond that? 
Yeah, so I'm going to maybe answer that two ways. So first, I do want to briefly touch on kind of the spreading Montessori to the African-American community. I'm a big numbers guy and I look at data. So uh, according to the median household uh, income, African-Americans are at the lower realm. And I think one of the reasons is because we lack education. I think that uh, knowledge is the key to success. And uh, as one of my mentors, Warren Buffett says, the more you learn, the more you earn. And I think that- <laughs> I let, that's a really easy. Well, that sounds like a bumper sticker in the making. <laughs> it should be. It should be. And, and I think one of the challenges when it comes to African-Americans is we don't want to learn because our traditional education system isn't actually learning. It's more memorizing. You know, everyone in the classroom sits there and listens to the teacher and they're going through either math or science, but you're supposed to remember it so that you can regurgitate on a test and get either an A or B or a C. And that's one thing that we really love about Montessori. It's not about you remembering something for someone else's sake. It's about you learning what is interesting to you. And I think, you know, spreading that to um, the African-American community would only help us in so many different ways. I mean, as we know, Montessori teaches you respect for the others. Uh, one of the biggest challenges in our African-American communities is we don't expect, we don't respect each other. You know, that's why violence is at an all-time high and, you know, so many other things. So that's part one. And more importantly, you know, Sess and I don't look at African-Americans as a one. We look at all of America as, you know, one. And that's even our uh, immigrants that come over here. You know, they're Americans. We all, we're, Cecily and I are big on like family. Regardless if we're, you know, blood family or not, we think that if we have core values and, you know, you're a good person, we're a good person. We're all family. We're all humans. You know, we're yes. way more alike than we are different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So now getting to your question, some of our goals for our school is, Currently, we uh, wanted to get the classroom open, which we did. And now we're focusing on getting the school at full capacity, because as we know, Maria Montessori says more children in a classroom actually provides a better environment for all the students in there. So we want to get it to full capacity so we can serve our students as best we can. There are a building or two next door to us on either side. We would love, as we've got to full capacity, to potentially reach out to them. Hope maybe they're, they're listening and say, hey, would you like to uh, help us expand? And that could be maybe step one to, uh, you know, a lower elementary. And then potentially if we get the second building, that can be a middle school. But uh, Assessor and I are also always looking for other Montessori owners who are looking to transition and move on themselves. Assessor uh, and I are young in our career, and we have a lot of energy. I hope we're uh, showing that today, and we are extremely you are showing all of your enthusiasm. Yes. <laughs> we are extremely excited about uh, getting the word out there about Montessori. So uh, not only do we plan on expanding in our own, our current uh, footprint, our own school, but we're also looking to, you know, to acquire more schools. And, yeah. and from our perspective, it's just spreading the word more, yeah. you know, so um, I know sometimes Montessori owners, they get kind of bogged down or maybe that's not the right word, but they're so focused on their school and they're making it the great and they're touching their community. But one of the things that we would love about Montessori is, you know, you spread the word the same way you do an Amazon or Apple. That's kind of our goals is to, you know, own more schools so that we can continue to spread the word and provide uh, the Montessori uh, method to more yeah. students and teachers. I think, you know, they, you have the, you have the Lapetites, you have the Goddards and all that stuff like that, but it's such a huge goal of my, I want Montessori to, it's already a worldwide name. I want it to be bigger. I want it to go as far as we can go with Montessori. If to be really audacious, if the U S government would just 
switch their curriculum over to Montessori. Oh my gosh, we'll be able to do so much yes. more. I mean, getting in, into the, the public school system even. I just, Montessori, Letty, you know, Montessori is the way. It's the only way. <laughs> so yeah, if there are any other owners out there and you know if you guys want to transition if you guys want to join the team let's go let's do it (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny a friend of mine once said that she wishes for the day when we stop calling it Montessori school and we just call it school because that's the only way that it's happening pretty much Or that's the way it's happening. So it sounds like you are on board with that. And the other thing is you all live in Atlanta and Atlanta is a really quite a big Montessori hub. If you're not, maybe you're not aware of it, but there, you know, I mean, of course we need, we have lots of room to grow everywhere, but as far as, you know, and compared to some other places in the country, like Montessori is really taking root there and it's starting to really grow and expand. So I'm really excited about seeing like little hubs and little parts of the country where people can connect and get excited about Montessori education and really just really just spread it to the masses. And it sounds like you two are the people to do that. And what I think is so inspiring about your story is that you are a young couple and you are role models for for starting a business and for starting a Montessori school. And a lot of times we have teachers who are listening in on these podcasts or reading the transcripts and they get inspiration like, oh, I can do that someday too, because look, here's somebody who maybe didn't know a whole lot, but jumped in and learned about it. And also not only did you, you jumped in, but you were very respectful of your teachers who already had their training. And it sounds like you have a very collaborative, you know, responsive relationship with them and you're listening as you're moving along. And anyway, this is, this is just an inspiration for people who are interested in starting their own thing, which a lot of people are right now. There's a big movement towards micro schools and people starting small schools or small networks of schools, because sometimes smaller is a really good option for a lot of people. And it's a viable option for a lot of people. And you have a great model that you're starting out with. So anyway, um, actually, I think that's pretty much all that um, that I have time for today with you all. And I'm really excited that I was able to talk with you about your school in Atlanta. And so if anybody's interested, uh, we'll have an article attached to this and we'll put a link to your website. And so they can learn more about your school and maybe reach out to you with questions they have, if maybe they're interested in becoming a school owner and wondering what that transition is like, um, that they'll be able to reach out to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I, I love sitting down having these conversations. So thank you. Yes. Thank you both for Anaji Owens and Cecily Owens for joining us today on Montessori Talks. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Trillium Montessori Talks. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love the practical and actionable classroom management advice in the Montessori Principles to Practice webinar libraries. Head to trilliummontessori.org forward slash podcast for details and to learn about all the ways we can help you optimize your Montessori work. We'll be back soon with more Montessori inspiration. In the meantime, please help other Montessori guides 
find this podcast by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening platform. Thank you for being a part of the Trillium community. 